Hit it. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. You're listening to Pod Me If You Can. This is Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews by David and Lloyd. An Australian podcast on your favorite movies. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Welcome to Pod Me If You Can. I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. And today's film is David Fincher's Gone Girl. Just quick warning, we've seen the film. If you haven't seen the film, we're going to spoil it. Big spoiler warning at the beginning of Gone Girl. Lloyd, I watched this at uh, Crown Casino in Melbourne. Oh, cool. They have this deal where you get two tickets and some food for, uh, this is not a paid spot, just quickly, for uh, $149, which is like the price of movie tickets in gold class now, with, with a little combo and stuff as well with ice creams. So at 149 minutes, that's a dollar a minute for this film with the runtime. <laughs> How was uh, your audience? I watched it on a Friday night. I watched this on Thursday night when it came out at Hoyt's Extreme Screen, and unfortunately, I saw it at the one and only time it's going to be available at Extreme Screen. And uh, yeah, a decent sized audience, I'd say. It's David Finch's 10th film, and I just thought I would run through what he's done to get here. So Alien 3, 7, The Game, Fight Club, Panic Room, Zodiac, Benjamin Button, The Social Network, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and now Gone Girl. And that's like a huge escalation in terms of quality and finding his style. And I think it's, you know, more to the great canon of David Fincher films here. Yeah, I think he's an incredible talent. Actually, my second favourite movie of all time is uh, Seven, and I won a DVD of it signed by Morgan Freeman years ago uh, on the movie show. They had a competition. He had to write in in 25 words or less why he liked the movie Seven, and I was one of the top five to win it. And, uh, yeah, I've loved his style ever since. I think he's a great director. I I actually don't think he's done a bad movie. While some of them I don't think are great, um, if you compare any of his movies to 99% of Hollywood movies that come out, it's head and shoulders above so many uh, other films. Like His distinctive style is his um, attention to detail and just how beautiful his movies look. I, th- I think he's an absolutely incredible talent. I'll watch any of his movies at the theatre any, any day. I'm a Fight Club man myself, but I'm a huge fan of uh, The Social Network. Oh, and, I love um, The Social Network. And Zodiac as well. Yeah, I love um, Zodiac. That's fantastic. Yeah, like it, it's sort of amazing to think these are all his films, and like it, yeah, it really makes him one of my favorite directors. Just um, based on the canon of stuff he's done, I suppose. And look, Gone Girl's no different. I think um, I've got a few little problems with the film. I'm going to bring up with you, Lloyd, but. Uh, yep. Same. <laughs> yeah. I actually think, just to get it out of the way right away, I think this is his weakest film um, to date. But it again, it it's not like it, it's just head and shoulders above so many other Hollywood films when you compare it to that. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely find it his weakest movie. All right. Well, let's bite into Gone Girl. Uh, first thing I thought uh, I'd mention is um, being a married man. I do know my w- wife's blood type. So, uh, you should, you probably should, people, if, uh, if you can have the conversation, I'm sure if they were bleeding out and, you know, needed a blood transfusion or something, it would be very helpful to know. You guys should definitely watch this movie as well, because 
I don't know how you can listen to this podcast and not watch the movie because it, it's very important that um, the whole movie's built up to a twist. So I'll just put it that way. Exactly. And as I said, we're going to ruin it. So yeah. spoilers. My wife read the book. I have not, but I have been picking her brain about it uh, since watching the film. And, and the book is told from both unreliable narrators. Uh, his is the present day and hers are journal entries that you see in the film. You're getting both sides of the story with kind of a conflicting view because obviously uh, the diary is written with a purpose. Um, part of uh, the twist of the film. I-, I liked the film. I just thought it felt very long. Yeah. There was a certain point where, he, like a uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which I really like except for the third act. And in fact, uh, in, in recent viewings of Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, I actually stopped it before the third act and went, well, that was a good movie. Because I just <laughs> didn't want to see that last bit. You know, it was just horrible. It just went on and on. And then um, I, I felt the same with Gone Girl. It was pretty good to a certain point, And then it just overstayed its welcome a bit. Well, yeah, I felt like there were a few endings attached to the film, a little bit like um, everybody makes fun of Lord of the Rings. You know, it's like there's a couple of different points where you could have sort of cut to black. But I, I really enjoyed the world that had been created and the story. I just It felt longer than it should have been. Yeah. Um, I read, though, that there were people who wanted more. And uh, then I read there were other people who read the book and were really bored because it all played out exactly the same. And they were just watching it beat by beat. Wow. Exactly what they'd read. So it's getting some really mixed reviews, but it's it's very new. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'll... Look, Lloyd, I'm going to debut my, my new segment for the podcast now. It's called The Punch-Up. Now, The Punch-Up, uh, pretty much what I'm looking at doing here is punching up a movie. Whether it's improving the script, the way it's shot, edited, cinematography, something about it that didn't feel quite right, how I would improve a film. So, uh, look, in this one, what I would do, I've got to cut down the runtime. 149 minutes is too long for this film. Now, I would have cut all of the stuff about Nick's dad. There's a scene in the police station where uh, he sees his dad is there and he's swearing, just under his breath, muttering, and he uh, has to drive him home. And then there's a TV report where he says uh, Nick only visited his dad once in the last year. You can keep all the dad's house storyline stuff. That's where the diary's hiding. I'm not sure why they weren't really renting that house out or anything like that, but um, there's ultimately no payoff to the dad stuff at all. He was used on TV... uh, It was used on the TV, rather, to um, make Nick look more villainous. It's part of, uh, you know, making him seem like a jerk and uh, all of that sort of thing, but... There was enough of that. You didn't need the dad thing. It was one throwaway line in the end. And look, it's about five minutes of the film you could lose for pace. He's seen getting angry in the police station. Fine. Have him get angry about something else. Lose his cool slightly. I mean, it wasn't the only time. Now, in the book, I think we're meant to believe that the dad is a suspect because uh, he calls her a bitch and stuff. But if, I felt like that didn't translate at all. No, I the dad it- um, was mentally sick, I found. Like, there was obviously something wrong with him and... That, that's that, you know, the film didn't even uh, venture into that at all. Yeah, he escaped from the home and it just felt like he had Tourette's or something because he was just kind of casually cursing. But I felt like that was a section you could definitely lose. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Look, uh, this is in this segment, it's brand new. This is the first time we were looking for feedback. So that's my punch up. Am I wrong? 
Take a swing back at facebook.com slash podme if you can. Lloyd, uh, what do you think of Affleck's performance? Yeah, um, he, he had me going to a lot. Like, I, I think that's the the main vehicle of the character is to make you believe, oh, maybe he did do it. You know, he's just got that dumb-witted look about him, you know, like just going through the motions and you're not quite sure what's got, what's behind his eyes, especially when that girl comes in. Um, the, the young girl, the girl he's having, having an affair with. Having an affair with. You're just like, oh, okay, this guy might be completely sociopathic. You know, so I think he did a good job at, at feigning you into that uh, train of thought. Yeah. Um, his performance also reminded me of To The Wonder, another uh, Terence Malick film we did for the podcast. Uh, it was very wooden and kind of detached. And Yeah, detached is the key word. Yeah, and physically, though, I thought we started to see the physique he might have for Batman yep. when um, we get there. So, yeah, I, I, I spent most of the first half of the film feeling really sorry for him because um i was watching him going oh it's frustrating you know nobody believes him but did you know what was going to happen at all like when you No, no i um i'd only spent time with my wife while she was reading it i didn't ask any questions because we knew we were going to see the film but um when she was reading it she'd say oh it's getting good or something's happening and just like hint at things but there was nothing said uh plot wise so um I didn't know what was going to happen, but I assumed... I just went with what we saw on screen. So we saw him kind of go to the bar, you know, have his morning paper, all that sort of stuff. I loved how he was carrying the mastermind board game, so we wonder if he was the mastermind behind her murder. (laughs) But I spent the film, like the first half of the film, feeling really sorry for him because I thought, oh, nobody believes him, he's going to be framed for this. Um, Yeah... I didn't see that she was still alive coming at all. That was like a big shock midway. I was just like, oh, she's still alive. Oh. <laughs> well, I was wondering. I felt like there should have been more physical evidence of her disappearing or something. I was just, yeah. Uh, the the whole film, a lot of the critics uh, were bringing this up, how the whole film's about projections. Like, uh, like what I, I love one of the lines um, towards the end, and I think this is what the whole film's about, how she said, we project the best image of ourselves when we go on a date, or, or something to that extent. And it's mm-hmm. uh, once you probe deeper into the marriage, the, the mask sort of fades away. And this whole film is, abra- is about that projection of a marriage, how you project to the media. Like, she herself has been living her whole life under her parents' projection of uh, that character name. I can't remember. Alice. The Amazing Amy. Oh, Amazing Amy. You know, where she's this beautiful character but she never became that you know so she's living behind this mask this entire time and that that's what the marriage is and that's how it breaks down and everything like that and the whole first part of this movie plays out almost like a police procedural who done it what's happened this big mystery and then the second half of the movie becomes a psychological absurdist thriller and i, I don't think the second half it was very gruesome and extremely well done but i just think that the the whole second half bit just got like there were so many times where i was going oh come on you know did you ever find yourself saying that a lot (laughs) Uh, i've got a few notes coming up that that really dig into that lloyd Uh, i thought i'd just cover off on some of the good stuff first i suppose yeah um I thought Rosamund Pike was a very good actress and will probably be nominated for Best Actress. I've always been critical of her. I've always said she's got one face, 
in okay. every movie, um, including uh, Captain America 2. I'm pretty sure she was in Captain America 2. Gosh, I'm so bad with actors. But um, when she was in this, yeah, she really impressed me. I, th- I think she, you know, it's a very daring role and she threw herself in all, all corners of the earth um, for it. I enjoyed the um, the opening shot of her head where he's thinking about her head where she turns and then bookended by the end shot of her head and the face is so different and changed and um, how Fincher put in the shots of him taking out the bins at the beginning and end of the film as well. Yeah. Sort of that dirty laundry, taking out the trash kind of symbolism. Uh, yeah, just I enjoyed um, the symbolism there. I thought the sister, Carrie Coon or Carrie Coon, uh, might also get nominated. She um, she hasn't done a lot of stuff, but I'm thinking watch this space because she was very convincing. Um, Pity about the name. <laughs> yeah. Um, not uh, Well, she looks a lot like Joan Cusack, so initially I thought she was Joan Cusack. Oh, Rosamund Pike. Sorry, she was in Jack Reacher, not Captain America Winslow. So, sorry, they're both spy movies. I was, I was thinking, uh, I feel so embarrassed. <laughs> I know her from uh, Clash of the Titans, yep. or Cl- uh, the Sam Worthington film, uh Bond. She was in Pierce Brosnan, one of these Bonds. And was it uh, Die Another Day? She was in. I think so. Yeah. And uh, she was also in like a Johnny English, like a what do you call it, Rowan Atkinson. Oh, yep. One as well. So mixed bag. Yeah. Um, I think Neil Patrick Harris was supposed to be more of a red herring in this film as well. Yes. Like you're meant, yeah. You're meant to believe he's maybe killed her, which um, is why it probably works so well when she fabricates the story about him. But um, that scene where Nick goes to see him and he just kind of closes the cage behind and the door behind and he's like just ignores him you know and doesn't tell him anything I think it's supposed to be a lot more mysterious there I kept wanting a lie detector test Lloyd (laughs) at some point I wanted someone to sit in for a lie detector test you know like whether it was Nick they asked if he's killed his wife or whether it was her when she came back I just thought they really didn't use any lie detectors (laughs) that was maybe just me but Anyway, the twist uh, that... Sh- do you reckon sorry. it should have been the movie where the, the detective takes him down? It takes her down? Like, um, you know, well, I kept wanting that ending to happen, but then it would have been a very conventional movie. It would have been just typical. And I think that's why David Fincher d- did this movie, because it's not a conventional movie at all. It, you know, you leave the cinema with a lot of questions and a lot to talk about, and yeah. if it did end with that, it just would have been, oh, one of these movies. Well... This film uh, was reminding me of another film quite a bit. Um, And when there's the twist that she's still alive, uh, I'd been wondering during the film, but I wasn't really sure yet. And I thought that was a very satisfying moment because I was leaning towards Nick's side during the beginning of the film. I was thinking maybe there was something going on. He was being framed. So uh, I had a hope for a better ending at that point. But um, there's a film that's called The Life of David Gale with Kevin Spacey. And I just want to put a spoiler alert in quickly because I'm going to ruin... The Life of David Gale. Uh, So fast forward about a minute if um, you want to see it. So uh, it's about a man against capital punishment who's accused of murdering a fellow activist and he is sent to death row. But it's all a setup because they don't find out until after he's given the death penalty that he knowingly lets the state execute him uh, to prove that innocent people are executed and trying to get... He's trying to get rid of capital punishment. So I kept thinking of that during this film and thinking that she would reappear after Nick was killed and maybe she could have done that whole kidnapping thing after Nick was killed so she would sort of seamlessly come back to her life and be free do you know what I mean yeah yeah I kept thinking of that and thinking there's gonna be this twist at the end of this 
uh, where I suppose, yeah, she found a loophole to have the state kill her husband for her so she didn't have to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But then when you see her sort of side of uh, things, she's got this whole plan to kill herself initially. Yeah, she... And that's the driving force of the character is that she's willing to die, you know, in order for him to really get charged with her murder. You know, it's just... She's a complete psychopath. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, she sort of becomes more and more insane during the course of the film, and I'm guessing the book as well. Uh, Did you see the stuff where she was stuffing her face with, like, sugar and stuff? Uh, When she first drives away yeah when she first drives away she's talking about the perfect girlfriend either the you know the girl who's likes football games the girl who's into emo sort of type things and yeah during that um voiceover she's buying you know junk food Uh, i'm assuming that's to put on weight to hide her identity yes um she stuffs her face with like sugary stuff and and looks really fat in the face and the stomach only and it's been a few days so it happens very quickly like I'm not sure how quickly it would work but um, maybe she could have just stuffed cotton balls in her cheeks like Marlon Brando in The Godfather you know because that sort of looked like what they were doing oh, alright well let's let's start to air our grievances Lloyd um, we'll get into the gone girl problems alright she was draining her blood yep do you think she was just draining her blood on that day I think it happened over a period... No, well, yeah, it did on the voiceover imply that she did that all when he went off in the morning and then she got up and then just went to work on, on her big, long project, uh, which is insane because you'd need a lot of recovery period to lo- losing that much blood. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> like, a ridiculous amount. I sort of felt like she should we should have seen a cupboard or somewhere she'd been hiding blood. Yep. That she'd been doing it in the same way as the journal... That we should have seen it happen over a montage. Mm-hmm. Like, you saw her writing in bed, writing on the sofa, you know, writing her diary. But we just see her draining blood on the day. I, I felt like, well, she would have been too weak to clean it and run around and do all those things. Draining all that much she blood. She would have been lightheaded, dehydrated. She, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because she was going to kill herself. Had Tyler Perry's lawyer character, Tanner Bolt, convinced Nick not to go on TV, she would have killed herself. Mm-hmm. But she never would have seen Nick pleading, you know, with the little in-joke, where he says, I've taken myself to the woodshed on this, you know, sort of thing. If she hadn't seen that, yeah, this would have been very different. So she smashes the hammer into her face as part of she's going to kill herself. Yeah, I think um, she's damaging her body in, re- in preparation uh, to be drowned is that right and the the body's going to wash up shore somewhere yeah and yeah. then she's going to have existing punches to the face i suppose presumably um look i didn't love that we watched nick drive to see tanner bolt like interstate like i wonder why he was allowed to leave the state and uh you know we could have had tanner bolt come to him and offer him his services I thought we watched quite a few shots of in-between scenes as well, where people were driving, looking out of windows, you know, looking through doors, walking through doors. Yeah. There's a little bit of sort of in-between every scene that I'm not sure we needed. It's probably a couple more scenes we could have just kind of cut into the meat of, you know, just fluff, just a bit of fluff. (laughs) 
Again, I, I think my biggest problem with this is probably the runtime. Yeah, the length is, was was a big ask. I had a big issue with the ex-boyfriend thing. You know how he had the ties that she bought him and uh, they were tied to the bed and, you know, she'd been wrapping them around her wrists, presumably. And That was all was delivered like- in one um, monologue, one dialogue scene with no cutaways, very reminiscent to the start of um, uh, the social network. <laughs> Yeah, that was sort of... It could have been the same bar, even. Just, um... <laughs> I was very confused about her motivation there. Like, why did she do that to him? Is that just part of her being insane? I don't know. No, the, I, you could probably trace her... Uh, you know, the history of her... Of her psychological development um, by piecing all these fract- fragments together. And I think that was just one clue of a big backstory, you know. But uh, I, I, to be honest, at that point, I wasn't really caring about that. <laughs> yeah, the, the thing is, the whole Amazing Amy subplot, which I found interesting, it was weird to me that her parents made her do press. Mm. Like, because the character isn't her. Yeah, exactly. It isn't her at all. Like, it... It's so strange. It's, it's like just weird how just- five, six uh, elite literary journalists would be like, oh, so um, Amy's getting married. Uh, are you getting married? Are you married? It's just like, really, would a literary journalist really care about yeah. that? <laughs> yeah, it's strange, they don't. They it? don't bug Stephen King about his children and if they represent any of the characters in his books. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe I missed Sonic there, but I completely agree with you. It was strange, and as well... The fact that her parents were writers, she was a writer, Nick was a writer. It was like, is anyone not a writer in this film? You yeah. Know? It's good how and they the- worked in the global financial crisis and how that has affected marriages, you know, the financial aspect, you know, especially when he's playing video games, yeah. like, all day and he's just shooting them up and she's just like, oh, we're not going to become that couple, you know? Yeah. No, it was... There was lots of interesting elements to it. I just had some problems and I, my biggest one... The biggest flaw of the film. Let's talk about what I think it is. When uh, Neil Patrick Harris dies, which I thought that was a very well shot scene. Oh, so gruesome. I was like, uh, you know, falling into my seat, like into a little ball. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was like Neil Patrick Harris. I have real trouble not thinking him, of him as like Barney from How I Met Your Mother now. Because <laughs> I guess nine seasons of How I Met Your Mother is like, you know, I've watched you, every you episode. You watched nine seasons of How I Met Your Mother? I did. I did look. <laughs> And I credit that to A Good Marriage because we both enjoyed the show and it was Uh, one of those things we watched together, you know? I think I've seen two episodes. Well, you haven't lived. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, uh, Neil Patrick Harris lives in a mansion and, of course, they lived in a mansion too. Nice houses, considering they're they're all poor and financially (laughs) struggling. But anyway, so Desi is her ex-boyfriend, played by Neil Patrick Harris, and... His house is covered with surveillance cameras, right? Mm. There's a sequence where she wraps a tie around her leg, like a you know rope or something like that, and um, proceeds to rough herself up a bit uh, and simulate that she's been raped and goes and presses against a window so that the camera will have evidence of her appearing to be raped after she messes up his hair and his shirt and bites his lip and gets him to walk out the front door. So as if to create um, a visual sequence for the cameras, of course, that she's just been raped by him. Some video evidence, if you will, Lloyd. Yep. Okay. Here's my issue with the film. She 
runs out of her money. Those people rob her at the caravan park. That's like nine days into this or something. I don't know what it was off the top of my head. But um, then she calls Desi, meets him at the casino, and he takes her to his house. They walk in. That would be on video. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the timeline she's lying about doesn't make sense because she's saying he kidnapped her and took her there, obviously, straight away. So, presumably, they're going to look on the videos for nine days ago. There'd be a nice archive of these, surely. They're going to look nine days ago or 30 days ago, whenever she turns up, and see nothing. Nothing happening. No one arriving, going to and from. Maybe him arriving on his own walking in on his own and then the actual arrival with her she wouldn't have been able to hide from the cameras then because she didn't know about them till she got inside right yeah so would you would see her arriving with desi like walking in together like nine days into when she went missing yeah i was under the impression that she was editing or you know fabricating a lot of the video footage but uh, maybe i'm not understanding that part completely because no. i completely agree with you um and- she was only monitoring it and she was playing up for the camera and she even goes to the point of saying it's on camera like when she's being interviewed by the fbi Mm -hmm. so i just feel like they would look for any other appearances of her on there and not find anything for the first nine days of her missing Mm. so for me that's the biggest flaw of the movie i don't think she should get away with it and i don't think she would get away with it and uh i guess that's a very frustrating thing is when you're I mean, I, maybe I naturally took his side because I'm a husband. Uh, and thankfully, my wife is not this crazy. <laughs> I, I thought the the part which was lost it for me is when she comes back all bloody and she tells the whole story, it's implied that the police commissioner doesn't want to have a question, doesn't want to have her probed into the media and everyone will believe whatever she said. You know, so she's fabricated this story and everyone's going with it. I just couldn't believe Ben Affleck deciding, yeah, I'm just going to go with it. I understand her point. Uh, it, it didn't sell me on that at all. I'm just like, oh, come on. Ben Affleck hates her with everything he's got, you know. And I know this is a very, very strange marriage and um, it has deeper themes than what we we could ever understand, you know, unless we're in that situation. But it just couldn't sell me on it. I was completely taken out of the film. And when, I, when I'm at that point going, I, I don't believe any of this, why isn't kim dickens you know um helping out ben affleck and tyler perry it should have been the four of them ben affleck's sister tyler perry kim dickens all going um you know or researching and trying to break it down but again it would have become that movie you know it would have become a very typical more a much more straightforward thriller rather than the complex um thriller that it ended on i do think the ending is wrong yeah uh, she she wrote a book about her abduction and escape like within the movie and uh it was called something like found or amazing or something like that and in the book nick is writing his own memoir exposing amy's murder and manipulation but when she reveals she's pregnant he deletes it so presumably having kids was a huge thing for him Uh, i want to read you a quick quote from the book uh it is the final words of the book uh and it's written by amy Okay, we are on the eve of becoming the world's best, brightest nuclear family. We just need to sustain it. Nick doesn't have it down perfect. This morning he was stroking my hair and asking me what else he could do for me. And I said, my gosh, Nick, why are you so wonderful to me? 
He was supposed to say, you deserve it, I love you. But he said, because I feel sorry for you. Why? Because every morning you have to wake up and be you. I really truly wish he hadn't said that. I keep thinking about it. I can't stop. I don't have anything else to add. I just wanted to make sure I had the last word. I think I've earned that. And that's how the book ends. Mm. Which is more haunting. Like she isn't quite done with him. Like she's still trying to manipulate him. Like, I don't know, I quite enjoyed that line from the book. But maybe it's not exactly translated on screen yeah because uh, uh, the movie left with me like ben affleck yeah he's weary of his wife but for some reason now he loves her he's fallen in love with her again in this strange sort of absurd way and uh, i just didn't believe that it would have been better uh, yeah i want the movie that i just mentioned the the ending where they take it down i just wanted that ending (laughs) yeah it's a strange one isn't it i mean i didn't feel like he was in love with her. He feels like he's trapped. He's like yes. a bit of a slave uh, or something. Exactly, now. he's trapped. He, he, yeah, he's he's now locked in, and uh, it's just not believable at all. There's so many holes in her story that any good detective I feel could have probed into and really exposed her. Uh, it's just weird to me that a, a really good detective that it's it, that is implied in you know Kim Dickens's character just doesn't probe into it. She goes, "No, the, I yeah. can't do anything." No, the commission said I can't do anything, so I'm not. Just like really. Wow, I just don't believe that. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. And maybe that's also a criticism of the book. I'm not sure. But, um, uh, well, look, I'll give you a quick quote from Gillian Flynn or Gillian Flynn. Uh, this is from npr.org, June 5th, 2012. She wrote, To me, marriage is the ultimate mystery. You know, that's there's that phrase, no one knows what goes on in anyone's marriage. And I guess the bottom line of this book is no one knows what's going on in their own marriage a little bit because we can't entirely know each other. I like how that's phrased and and visually, you know, how he's wondering what's going inside going on inside her head. How you know, the film the opens film. exactly, um, how he strokes her hair and she turns and looks at him and you never it's such a um, you know, obscure look. You're not entirely sure what's behind those eyes. And yeah, the, that quote is summarized in that opening. But you're very right. I feel like a detective would have been able to figure her out. And the fact that she's written a tell-all book about it is like... uh, uh, She's written the whole story out, you know, with all of the plot holes and stuff like that. (laughs) Where where did she get the box cutter, he says, if she was tied up, you know? Yeah. Uh, The fact that that Punch and Judy doll thing that, the like, you know, uh, the piece was uh, used as, like, a blunt force object and sort of thing. And if that detective probes into those archival footage, you know, from that house, you know, yep. it's... Yeah. I don't know. But, the, I mean, the, yeah. Yeah. I also feel like Desi's phone would have been um, uh, tapped because he would have been a suspect, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, he's the ex-boyfriend. He turned up at the missing Amy thing, you know? They would have had photos of everyone who arrived and everything like that. He would have seemed suspicious, so... Like, you could have got a phone tap for him, and then, especially when she's missing nine days, his phone would have been tapped, you would think, uh, in case he, you know, called someone or said something that he shouldn't have said, like, because he was a suspect as well. But, yeah, they just, they weren't across what Neil Patrick Harris, Harris's character was doing at all. Did you like the sense of humour in the film? Look, the biggest laugh came from when Tyler Perry was at the airport saying, how fucked up you people are and how you should have a reality <laughs> show. 
Everyone uh, in the cinema laughed. I, I couldn't stop laughing when um, he overhears people watching them on the TV and it's implied that he's, um, you know, having sexual relationships with his sister. And he yeah. goes, it's twin-cest. Twin-cest. <laughs> <laughs> and he looks over. And that would have been funnier if the guy had recognised him too. Like, and gone, oh, he's in there, yeah. You know, when somebody's talking about you. Yeah. Look, uh, there's something else that's on all the message boards and all the reviews, Lloyd. Mm. Did you see Ben Affleck's penis? I don't think so. <laughs> I, I never I like- noticed these things. Everyone said um, in Django Unchained, you see Jamie Foxx fully nude, you know. And I'm like, I don't remember that scene at all. Like, I'm sorry, <laughs> I, I don't. I remember him being hung upside down. And, um, you know, what's his name saying a few words to him? Uh, Samuel Jackson. Yep. But I don't remember him being nude. <laughs> he, he was definitely nude. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, people have been talking about Ben Affleck's penis in all the reviews. Apparently, when he steps into the shower at the end of the film and he's talking to his wife and he has to be nude so that you can see he's not wearing a wire, the camera pans down and you start to see Ben Affleck's butt. But allegedly, if you're looking to the very left as he's walking, you see a flash of his penis before the camera cuts to another angle. Oh, okay. Okay. Now, I completely missed it, too, and I, I read that after seeing the film. So, you know, people are saying, you know, look out for it before you see the movie sort of thing, because, yeah. Wow. Apparently, that's something to see. <laughs> okay. <Go> figure. <laughs> I just thought I'd see if you noticed it. No. I didn't notice it. I guess the temptation is, because the camera's panning down at his butt, the thing is, you look at his butt, because that's where the camera's... <laughs> The camera's pointing you to it. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, well, uh, listeners should know um, David Fincher does a lot of colour grading. He was the first, one of the first directors to really embrace it, and he goes frame by frame, literally, with his whole all his movies to make sure it has a certain tone and a certain quality. So it's a, you know, people criticise him being too artificial in a sense. So, uh, like in Fight Club, for instance, when um, the when he's having that dream sequence or he's telling that story of the airplane crashing and there's a big hole in the in the airplane and everything's flying around like there's yeah. all these details on the bottles and everything that's flying out there and it's just like oh, i guess people would only appreciate like on the audio commentary the only people that appreciate this are people who bought the dvd and want to go frame by frame by things so if they showed ben affleck's uh, penis i don't think it was by accident i think um you know, uh, David Fincher is such a craftsman, he would have purposely done it. I don't know why, because I didn't really care, but if it is there <laughs> and people say they saw it, then I guess it's true. It's funny, it's one of those things where it's like, will this help the film? <laughs> <laughs> people will go, oh no, you got to go see it. Do you, you think this will ben get Affleck's any penis? Academy Award uh, nominations? Because uh, I've seen uh, a few reviews that are talking about that, especially with the lead actress um, doing yep. so well. I think uh, cinematography... I think probably nominated for score because it's an interesting musical score, but I don't think it'll win. Yeah, uh, Trent Reznor won the Academy Award, and I saw him live, by the way, when he was in Newcastle in Australia. Um, he won the Academy Award for, I think it was The Social Network. I believe um, so, yeah. Yeah, and he, he's doing brilliantly with the score. Like, uh, you can always tell when a really tense scene is about to happen, and particularly when the throat slicing scene happens, and the music was just so perfect in time with that with that you know fade to blacks and fade ups i was oh my gosh i can't get it out of my head it was so nasty i think uh perhaps best director but i'm not sure he'll win just um it feels like a very well-made movie i think best actress is the best chance for an academy award um yeah 
I just wish uh, David Fincher would just go back to, you know, doing another Aaron. Uh, what's his name? The the writer of uh, um, all those TV great TV shows such as the Aaron Newsroom. Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin is that how you pronounce it? Um, yeah, I wish he'd do another script and they'd team up together because, like you were saying, um, with the Social Network, I was such a big fan of that movie. In fact, I think it's his best movie in a decade. Like, um, oh, geez, what would my top ones be? I guess Seven, Social Network and uh fight club i guess are my top three and i wish he'd you know go back to adapting these really hardcore scripts rather than you know this really you know go with the dragon tattoo sort of b-grade thriller sort of movies and nothing against them i think they're fantastic movies but there's a lot of problems with the scripts i'll say (laughs) because this is the first time she wrote a script uh, i think uh gillian flynn gillian or gillian i'm not 100 percent sure uh yeah, I think so. It's first adapted screenplay from her. Yeah. Um, but I think, well, she's a third novel or something, so, mm. you know, she's not unfamiliar with writing. Sure. Uh, ben Affleck said he read the book and he thought it was unfilmable, so... Wow. You know. I'm going to show you, that. Ben. I'm going to show you how to direct and adapt. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought the film was really great. Uh I mean, you can check out more film reviews from us at www.podmeifyoucan.com. I have to give out another letter in our anagram competition, Lloyd. Uh, we're looking to give away some DVDs in a Pod Me If You Can prize pack. The letter for this podcast is O. And um, if you guys feel like checking out some obscure film reviews with uh, famous stars, our YouTube uh, account, which is youtube.com slash can. It has now 20,000 hits, Lloyd. Yeah, I can't believe it. What a milestone. <laughs> it's very um, very good to kind of get that, you know, feedback recognition. I think uh, people actually checking out the reviews we're doing there. So it's a lot of fun. Um, and they're only five minutes, guys. Five to seven minutes. Uh, you know, movies you'll probably never find and never watch. But it's just interesting to see these stars that you know so well in these strange movies. <laughs> Well, sometimes you can see our reviews and then that will encourage you to go and find this. Exactly, that too, definitely. Yeah. Well, if you listen to us in iTunes, go ahead and rate us there. That'd be great. And um, Lloyd, I know you're excited because next time on the podcast, we're going to talk about Sin City 2, finally. Oh, yeah. Been much of, you know, uh, it's been a long wait for it, but uh, I'm just glad it's out there. That's it. So, uh, Robert Rodriguez, Sin City 2 on the next one. Thanks for listening to Gorn Girl, and uh, see you next time. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews. 